This activity includes one presentation consisting of a clinician-patient dialogue and a discussion. At any time during this case, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello, this is Dr. Anna Tinker from BC Cancer in Vancouver, Canada. Welcome to this Pure Voice activity on endometrial cancer. This activity includes one presentation consisting of a clinician-patient dialogue and a discussion. At any time during this case, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Cindy is a 53-year-old female who was previously healthy but now has metastatic endometrial cancer. She had been diagnosed six months prior with stage 4 disease with pelvic, periodic lymph node involvement and lung metastases. And she had high-grade endometrioid endometrial cancer, which has now been treated with six cycles of chemotherapy using carboplatin and paclitaxel. Initially, she had a good response to treatment. She's coming in today to be reviewed as she has developed some new symptoms, including some pain in her right lower quadrant. To ask Cindy a question, tap the prompt below. When she replies, you'll be able to ask follow-up questions and review other relevant information. Our patient, Cindy, who had presented with advanced disease and progressed soon after completing first-line chemotherapy, has had her tumor biomarker information, and this was an essential part in determining the next step in her care. So we will now review the molecular characterization of endometrial cancer and some of the relevant data around immunotherapy and endometrial cancer. The TCGA molecular classification was quite revolutionary in the treatment of endometrial cancer. Within endometrial cancer, there's actually four molecular subgroups, some of which we call the copy number low or no specific molecular profile group, some of which are called the mismatch repair deficient or MSI high group. There is a small group with poly mutation, and there's a P53 mutated subgroup. Prognosis varies by the molecular subgroup, but what's really important, treatment should vary depending on the molecular subgroup. The mismatch repair deficient subgroup, where Cindy, our patient, belongs, is a subgroup that has a high mutational load, and it's a group that has an intermediate prognosis in terms of long-term outcomes. I want to draw your attention to something here that's important to note. Amongst all of these molecular subgroups, but particularly for the mismatch repair deficient subgroups, you can see that all the different histological subtypes can fall into all of the different molecular groupings. So non-endometrioid and endometrioid, high-grade and low-grade can all be mismatch repair deficient or whole mutated or P53 abnormal or no specific molecular profile. And the reason that's important to note is you cannot assume based on the histology the molecular subgrouping. The molecular subgrouping has to be tested for specifically. And one strategy to do this is using a tool called the PROMISE classifier. Some approaches would include testing all samples for mismatch repair deficiency. If mismatch repair deficiency is not identified, 
then there could be the strategy of testing for the poly mutation, which is a genetic test or one of the many mutations, and then immunohistochemistry for P53. And only if all of those tests come back negative would the case then be classified as no specific molecular profile. So guidelines for the management of advanced or recurrent endometrial cancer do include a variety of possible options. And of course, every case is individually evaluated. Therefore, what you might do for any one case would differ even if they have the same molecular profile. Surgery and sometimes radiation is appropriate in some situations. And then, of course, systemic treatments, chemotherapy, anti-PD-1 monoclonal antibody therapies such as pembrolizumab, dostarlanab, and hormone therapies. Some of the tumors, irrespective of their molecular profile, might have estrogen and progesterone receptor expression and might be suitable for hormone therapies. This is often something considered in very slow-growing cancers. Occasionally, a cancer will be both mismatch repair deficient and possibly positive for estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor. And there may be a decision that needs to be made or considered around when should hormone therapy be used or should it be used in place of immunotherapy. Health Canada has approved pembrolizumab and lenvatinib for the mismatch repair proficient subgroup, and then pembrolizumab and dostarlamab for the mismatch repair deficient subgroup. So let's review some of the data around immunotherapy and mismatch repair deficient endometrial cancer. The Garnet study on dostarlamab just recently released its third interim analysis. This large study included a cohort of mismatch repair deficient endometrial cancers and a cohort of mismatch repair proficient endometrial cancers. And what's very notable is amongst the mismatch repair deficient tumors, the response rate is 45.5%, which is quite substantially higher than that seen in the mismatch repair proficient subgroup. We also see a roughly 15% of patients having a complete response in the mismatch repair deficient group, which is quite a remarkable observation. The median duration of response is still not reached in the mismatch repair deficient group, although it was approximately 19 months in the mismatch repair proficient group. The next slide shows you the survival curves for the mismatch repair deficient groups. And the thing to draw your attention to here is the curves initially drop as those who do not respond have their disease progression. But then those who have responded have a very long progression-free interval, meaning if you are a responder, the chance of maintaining response is very high. And likewise, that's reflected in the very good overall survival curve for this subgroup. When it comes to safety of dostarlamab, the safety profile is very much in keeping with what we would expect to see from immunotherapies using single-agent anti-PD-1 agents. So while there are a lot of potential treatment-related adverse events, the majority were not considered high-grade. Some of the more common immune-related treatment-related events are thyroid dysfunction, arthralgias, changes in liver enzymes, ALT and AST. But you can see on average, the rates of these types of toxicities quite low, less than 10%. Let's review now the Keynote 158 study of pembrolizumab. This study was performed in a patient population also of endometrial cancers with mismatch repair deficiency or MSI high status. Similarly to the results we saw with the Garnet study, there is a very satisfying level of activity with this agent with a roughly 50% response rate, about 15% of patients having a complete response. And as before, we see a very long 
duration of benefit from treatment. And the survival outcomes are once again, just like with the Garnett study, quite impressive with a plateau on the progression-free survival curve. So stability of the response and of course, a corresponding good overall survival for those who have responded. And just like with the Garnett study, we see a safety profile that's consistent with this drug class. While treatment-related adverse events were recorded in 76% of patients, grade three or higher drug-related or immune-related toxicities were quite rare, less than 15%. Now, immunotherapy is also now being used for patients with mismetrepair proficient disease, but in combination with a targeted therapy. So the Keynote 775 trial demonstrated the efficacy of lenvatinib and pembrolizumab in advanced endometrial cancer. And you can see the progression-free survival is almost doubled, and the overall survival is improved by approximately five months in the mismetrepair proficient population, although similar results are seen in the overall population for median progression-free and overall survival. So the safety profile of this combination is different. The occurrence of treatment-related adverse events was much higher, and in particular, grade three treatment-related adverse events on the lenvatinib and pembrolizumab arm was seen in roughly 90% of patients. A significant proportion of those were categorized as serious, and treatment tolerance was a challenge with some people having to discontinue therapy because of treatment-related toxicity or intolerance. However, the combination is active and approved in Canada and based on molecular profiling, would be routinely offered to patients who are suitable for the therapy if their disease is mismetrepair proficient. I want to spend a moment discussing the immune-related adverse events because this really does pose a significant challenge right now for oncologists. And that's, of course, because immunotherapy can pretty much affect any region of the body. Treating patients with immunotherapy means having a very, very high level of clinical suspicion around new symptoms, making sure that we're remembering these possible toxicities and evaluating symptoms for not only the common possible causes, but for immunotherapy-related causes. There are many different algorithms developed for approaching the management of immune-related adverse events. And the first would always be to start with asking could this be an immune-related adverse event, yes or no? And if the answer is yes, then it's always important to rule out other underlying etiologies. And if no other cause is found, and you believe it's likely immunotherapy-related, appropriate management needs to be implemented. Low-grade toxicities might just be managed with symptomatic therapies, such as steroids or antihistamines. But as we start getting into the higher-grade toxicities, some of the most important things to remember is the early initiation of steroid therapy, because it is really steroids that abate many of these autoimmune processes. In some cases, there are special considerations like the need to get some specialists involved to manage possible complications. In summary, the treatment of endometrial cancer is really a multidisciplinary and multi-pronged approach, which includes not only surgery and radiation and chemotherapy, but a consideration for other treatments such as immunotherapy and hormonal therapies. Molecular characterization is now essential to make sure all possibilities are explored. Reflecting back on our patient, Cindy, the molecular characterization of her disease was very helpful for understanding her therapeutic options once people are on treatment. It's understanding how to identify and manage side effects. That's very, very important. Thank you very much. 
This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.